My name is Aram, and I am the Dungeon Master for God's Fall, a custom 5th edition Dungeon & Dragons campaign in Washington, D.C., and thank you for joining us for our Season 1 Mailbag. Predictably, you all had a lot of questions. Many were about similar subjects, so we've combined a lot of these into a single answer, while some of them will be reading verbatim. But I'd like to start by discussing the God's Fall worldbook. Recently, we've run across some other podcasts who have tried to produce world books and other materials to go along with their game and Dungeons and & Dragons and have gotten some flack back from the company. We don't blame Dungeons & Dragons, we're not interested in starting a fight with anyone, but from what we've seen, if we go ahead and produce this world book, even if we produce it for free, it has a good chance of getting a takedown notice. There's also a bit of scary language with wizards and their legalese where if we were to produce a world book and we were to use some of this material anyway that they could then claim ownership of God's Fall, that's very likely not going to happen. But again, we don't want to risk anything and we don't want to make anyone upset. So until Dungeon and Dragons, until Wizards puts out some sort of official gaming license that we can go by and make sure that our world book would stay within those rules, we're going to hold off for now. We're going to keep working on it, but it's going to become a back burner thing. We're going to focus on the podcast and maybe we'll see a world book in season three when we know if we're legally clear or not. Until then, though, we'll continue to put notes and information up on godsfall.com, including maps and character information. And once I've gotten all of the divinities completely flushed out, we'll put the rules up for those as well. I know a lot of you were looking forward to the world book. Frankly, I was as well. I promise you I'll get as much of the content up that I was working on for it that I feel safe in doing so. But again, until we get an official all clear, we're just going to hold off. So with our housekeeping out of the way, let's get to your questions. The number one of them being some form of, is Franny the bad guy now? <laughs> well, maybe. This could all end up being a really elaborate misunderstanding between her and the others, but I don't think so. Kay got busy quickly, and we are hoping she has some time for us in season two, but even if she doesn't, I have a pretty good idea of where her character arc is going to head. And speaking of Phryne, I've gotten a surprising amount of questions about the royal lineage of Ani, which pretty much boils down to, what about the queens having kids? And that's a fair question, but one that I feel doesn't really apply in this world for these people. Cyrena is the new god queen. She is assumed to have powers that grant her immortality, among many other supernatural abilities. I think a lot of people would assume she would have a child if she wills it. That's the kind of, you know, supernatural power they expect to come from her. Additionally, sex and sexuality is less problematic in my world. It would barely cause a titter were Cyrena and Franny to invite a suitor into their bedchambers with the sole purpose of providing an heir. So, you know, they got options. Good day from Australia. My name's Kane, and as a DM thinking of spearheading a real play podcast, what tips would you have for getting players, first of all, to agree to take part, but also to continually record? As a player, I get excited about worlds that are flushed out before I ever roll the dice. I like to look at detailed maps and think about far-off lands I may one day see, or read an outline of the world history to get an idea about how the present was shaped. 
I think if you present your players with rich background and world texture, you'll draw out a natural desire for them to want to explore your story. What technical things do you wish you had have known when you were starting God's Fall? Or what would you have done differently from a technical viewpoint? I would have recorded an entire season and got at least half of it edited before I even thought of making it public. That would be number one. I absolutely love making God's Fall, but the hours can start to pile up on me. Each episode is four hours of writing, six hours of game time, and 20 hours of editing. If I'm cutting as we play, that means I'm putting in 30 hours each week just to get the podcast out. It's a pace I simply can't maintain for long, so being well prepared would be the number one thing I would go back and change. As far as more technical changes, I would have planned to invest more money and gotten us all on individual lav mics from the beginning. I'm really happy with everything we've produced so far, but the audio quality in Season 2 is simply going to blow away everything we've done to this point. Uh, what are you guys doing on the boat? I don't know. Do I look like a sailor to you? <laughs> no, well, I'd ask, like, what do you want to do? Like, you got a whole, like, you got I'm gonna a get, lot of time. Um, I'm going to go down to the workshop and start getting set up. Because mm -hmm. um, I want to start making the, um, so my, my plate mail. The workshop, even though it didn't print because I forgot to write it down, the workshop is in the storage in this whole area here. So basically, there's a bunch of barrels and baskets and boxes and okay. does it have like a four sacks like a, and, oh yeah there's like tables and there's okay. like a whole thing over um over here the the person who's normally there at the forge is i go up to her because i have names and backgrounds uh -oh. for everyone let's, have, let's see how we screw this up carpenter ginfolk storm fuse wow a short fat gnome <laughs> <laughs> Carpenter. So you see Ted. Carpenter. <laughs> Ted's like, how's it going? My name's Ted. Ted Carpenter Ginfunk Stormfuse is Gin a funk. short. Ginfunk. Ginfunk? Ginfunk. Ginfunk. Is a short fat gnome in her late 40s. Ginfunk is in charge of she? ship maintenance. She. Ginfunk is in charge of ship maintenance and repair, as well as leading the fire brigade. She is gruff and quick to anger, but fiercely loyal if you gain her respect. No, I wouldn't know that just by looking at it. I don't, okay. I don't. <laughs> is, she, is she currently in the workshop? Workshop and the storage in the bottom of the ship. It literally sits below the water line, especially with how loaded down you guys are right now. The bottom of the ship consists of three main areas. The main large area is for general storage, dry goods, everything the ship would need in a moment. There's also the entire back end of it is for live animal storage. There are horses, cows, there's, a four, there's four horses, a cow, a half a dozen chickens, two sheep, and then there's a dog named Barnacle. So those on the ship is an old mutt named, named Barnacle. God. Those are all the animals who live on oh, the this ship. Oh, going to be an interesting dynamic. What other systems, aside from Dungeons & Dragons, do you like to play? My tabletop RPG history was influenced hugely by the following. Rifts. Marvel Superheroes. Car Wars. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. 
survive. Vampire the Masquerade. Hunter the Gathering. Call of Cthulhu. Mutants and Masterminds. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Are you ready for the truth? But I could add up all the time I spent playing all of those systems and it would pale to the 30 years I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons. Where would you hope for God's Fall to go from here? That's a good question and one that I'm not sure I actually have an answer for. When we're not on break, the show averages about 2,500 downloads a day. And even when we are on hiatus, we're seeing about 1,000 a day. The numbers are completely surprising to me, so I'm not sure what to make of them or the potential for growth. I guess I just want to keep telling the best story I can and to keep increasing the quality of our audio as best I can. What programs do you use to make your maps? Can you provide a tutorial on how you do it? I use Fireworks and Photoshop, so no, sadly, I really can't. Not without making a tutorial on how to use both of those programs. I can talk a little bit about my process, though. I, uh, I gather outlines of countries I think have interesting shapes and combine and cut away from them until I have the shape I want. Then I just keep adding detail until it feels right. So yeah, it's a pretty terrible answer, sorry. How do clerics work in God's Fall? Why were the cultists on Baron LaFleur's ship able to cast spells? As you probably heard in our last episode, Zion figured out a way to make a sort of battery from Seeker Stones that allows the party to charge them with their divinity. So far, they've only figured out ways to use it to amplify or create waypoints for their powers, but they may not be the only ones who can use this stored technology. Speaking of which, what is the current level of technology in the God's Fall world? Can we expect to see things like clockwork automations such as steampunk-esque technology somewhere in this world? Uh, well, the answer is yes. Uh, the current level of technology is crossbows and catapults, though the dwarves are masters of bending steam to their will, and gnomes have a natural talent for clockworks. Magic has created huge technological advancements for some cities, like the pure water of Anis Aqueducts or the lava forges of Gal Hadir, which in turn have allowed for even greater achievements, only a few of which you guys have seen so far. So yeah, basically, expect a lot more in the future. Hello, God's Fall. This is Tom McDermott from L.A. I was wondering if you guys edit in all of the sounds that are heard during the uh, podcast. At the end of the episode where Doro encountered a horde of zombies and an undead god king, that zombie sound effect was crazy awesome. We record all of our voices as clean as possible. There's no audio in the room whatsoever. All the sound effects, all the music beds, in fact, a lot of my descriptions are all added in post. 
we want to get the cleanest audio we possibly can. And the only way to do that is to have a room where it's just our voices and nothing else. And then on top of that, I put a lavalier microphone on all of my players. If I was playing audio live in the room, it would bleed into all of those microphones and just sound muddied. So we had everything in afterwards. Also, frankly, I have a really, really easily distracted attention span, and if I am smacking buttons to try and make audio queue up at the same time I'm given a description, the game will never get done. As a DM who also loves telling a good story, how do you balance that story with making sure your players are having a good time? That's pretty much the biggest question and the biggest problem that any DM is going to face. How do you entertain four expectant, six expectant, whatever amount of people around you? God's Fall has been the first successful campaign I've ever managed to run, so I'm honestly not sure I have the best advice to give, but I will give it a shot. You have to find a Goldilocks zone between writing enough content and background to make sure the world seems flushed out and whole, but keeping that information flexible enough to accept rapid change when your players go mucking about in your carefully crafted world. What I like to do is create a really detailed map and then populate that land with powerful NPCs that have strong motivations. I write an outline for each character of goals they are seeking to accomplish over a series of months and years, and have them advance along that timeline unless the players influence those actions. That allows God's Fall to feel like a living, evolving place without having to railroad the characters down one path or another. And speaking of which, for those of you who claim I do railroad my players, and there are many of you, you have to realize that I cut a lot out of this show. On average, each episode is four hours of raw audio, chopped down to about one. And there's usually an hour before we start the mics rolling, and an hour after we have stopped them, where we are still discussing the game and the motivations of our characters, and just a lot of story detail in general. So while it may sound like I am sometimes pushing the characters along a certain path, I'm usually just writing in an opening for something we've already discussed doing. When you thought up who should have what divinities, did you take into consideration the relationships that the gods had before they fell? Uh, no. I really thought more about how divinities would affect the characters than I did about the prior relationships of the old gods. When the players were making up their characters, I told them to pick one of the old gods they felt their character could relate to, and then assign the rest to NPCs scattered throughout my world. This allowed my players to pick their path without really knowing what they were getting into because they knew that magic was dead, but they had no idea about this Risen God superhero thing I was working on. And I wanted to kind of hide that a bit. So this was the best way to get some of both. I didn't really think about the relationships or anything. I just thought about what was the best match for each character. For each player, what emotional role on the team do you feel your character plays? I am basically the monkey wrench that is thrown into the complex machinery that is evil. 400 years ago on the planet Earth, workers who felt their livelihood threatened by automation flung their wooden shoes called sabot into the machines to stop them. Hence the so name, Sabotage. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, so anyway, wooden shoes and stuff. In the same way that sometimes throwing a live grenade into something is probably the best decision. 
in, in the end. If you sometimes you have to sometimes. blow up the status yeah. quo in order to like propel a, a the large, story. Yeah, a large group of zombies or, or something. You know, why not? Fair Just enough. Chuck that thing in there and that'll take care of all of them. It's kind of like that. I would say Dora also like uh, serves a role of a teacher, really, uh, in many ways. Uh, and helps us all sort of gain our powers and encourages us. He's oddly fallen into a mentor role. Yeah, if for no other reason than it's your own potent way of creating chaos. You're, you're doing this thing that normal, normally we can't, shouldn't be able to do these things. I would say a lot of you what know? he does has its own agenda. Most yeah. of everything he does has an agenda behind it, which we can't usually see until, you know, frankly, he doesn't always see it. Until the grenade goes off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sometimes I don't even see, frankly. <laughs> I know it's there, but yeah. I don't know. Fair enough. I'm not sure what emotional role Torvik follows or, or is presents for the group. I see him more as like a rock um, and a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. Torvik is the first one that's going to use his physical head to ram into something to, to stop any other harm from coming to his, to his friends. He'll try the potions first. He'll test out the manacles. He'll get his hands chopped <laughs> off with manacles, you know, because of manacles. Yeah. So he's, he, he tries to be fearless, but where he, his fear comes in is fear of his friends being hurt. I would say Zion is sort of the worry wart of the group, you know, he's, no. <laughs> he's always concerned about like what's happening. He sometimes blows things out of proportion, but in a way that helps because, you know, he's the one to like notice when things are going awry. Now that we've left Ani and have been focusing uh, away from the, uh, the <laughs> clutches of uh, Fryani, <laughs> Uh, he's taken more of a, a strategic role of sort of determining plans and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I deferred to her out of, uh, you know, necessity because I, I, she was the one with power, I was not. And you are a man who respects authority. I respect authority, <laughs> usually. Yes. Uh, until I don't. Right. So uh, Recently there have been questions. <laughs> right, huh. right. An advisor mm -hmm. type of role. Like the, when Phryne suddenly rose to power, immediately came up and was like she was bouncing ideas off of you immediately and stuff and right and and like sort every of time the same thing with the god queen now yeah right? yeah exactly. voice of reason kind of thing yeah there. so it's if nothing else you're like a good jafar <laughs> <laughs> for now i mean pair's emotional journey has been the point of his character. Uh, redemption, I guess, it was the emotional role that he plays within the group. You know, someone who was broken and then, you know, generally disliked, frankly, who then rises to a place within the group where he's earned his a place and has, you know, found some strength and hope. By the so. way, and boy, are you going to be excited about this. What level spells can you cast up to? Uh, level two. Okay, level two. Uh, you can cast up to level one, correct, Torvik? Um, yes. Yay! Spell cards! Spell cards! Oh, is that a, is this an actual paladin? This is an actual paladin spell card deck. How oh, about no that? No way. Yeah, How so sexy is that? Take all the spells that you would normally be able to cast and you just keep them. You just go through your hand. Yep. Literally. Each day when you memorize your spells, just pull those out and place those cards right down in front of you so you know what you can cast at any time. And when you cast it, return it to the deck. A lot of you had questions about how rangers work in the D&D world. I like the Spellless Rangers, and I like the Spellless Ranger variant because it fits in really well with my world, especially because magic hasn't existed in a hundred years. 
I've thought a lot about this because rangers are my favorite character to play, and I always play them with a bow, and I put all my feats into bows, and I try to have as much dex as possible. They just become artillery cannons. So again, my love for rangers has caused me to think a lot about this. The players, however, don't exactly share this love. Chris Perkins is the official DM for Dungeons and Dragons. He does all their podcasts and video stuff yeah. and all that. He's excellent, actually. And so he wrote a variant ranger where they don't cast spells, mm -hmm. where it's all about abilities and maneuvers and physical things, and that makes a lot more sense to well, me as far it, as rangers. It's neither here nor there because we kill rangers on sight. So. First of all, you don't. <laughs> because Yay! Are Die, ranger. all rangers! <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's been biting us in the ass ever since. I know. Remember that time they spread mud on us? <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> Again, first of all, all they did was track you, and you don't mm -hmm. even know that for... You don't even know that you have a suggestion because there was a smear of mud on a piece of paper and you guys did all the no, math. No. The evidence is there. It's overwhelming. Incontrovertible. There was a smear of mud on a piece of paper. Them. You don't know why it was there. You don't know how it got there. They you don't know where they got that map from. They live from. in the woods, yes. wow. for God's sake. Yes. Wow. All right, once we take full power, I mean, things are going to change for the yes. I mean, they are, they, are, they are literally the nativist of native people. They were born from those trees and they still live there. Well, perhaps they will return to them yes. then. How will they be when they are staked also, to those trees? Also, like, also like, now think about those elves for a second. I really want you to think about this because if we, I want to delve more into this. Elves live to about a thousand years old, mm -hmm. okay? The world, right? is several thousand years old. So there's like five generations of elves. Five. Yeah, three or four. Since mm -hmm. the beginning yeah. of elves. In fact, in fact, less than that because the elves didn't get born until like year 1000 right. or something, I already right? did the math on this and so I found out that yeah. chances are Fryany does not have a great-great-grandfather. She probably has a grandfather. Right, exactly. Um, you know. Yeah, there's like four generations tops of elves. In fact, the fourth generation just got born. Fryany's right. part of that. Yeah, so be... think about that from their perspective. It's like if your great-grandfather was born from a tree and that was all of existence, okay? So it's a whole, that's why they, that went, I think, biblical. you all <laughs> think elves are dicks. And I guess they look like dicks because they just think differently. Imagine how you would feel is if at 18 you've been around for 90 fucking years and mm -hmm. you see all these humans, 40 years old, running around in king's armor, pretending like that. You mean, well, how would you feel? You would think them ridiculous children out to destroy everything. Go away. Yeah. Hey, you exactly. ancient teenager, go away. <laughs> Just go away. If you could have pushed the party in a different direction, where would you have liked them to spend more time? Or what would you have enjoyed seeing? Uh, everything that Dorona has done up to this point has been exactly that question. And I just wanted to have fun or something, I guess. I don't, then Utea, duh. We would uh, go all the way north as far as, I, I don't know, some kind of trick. They fix all the compasses somehow or something and then throw the navigator overboard. And they'd be like, where are we going? And then uh, we'd go up north. And I'd be like, here we are. Yeah. And everyone's like, this is not the south, and that is not the void. And uh, yeah, the we would go four months of like, open ocean <laughs> up till then. No one asked yeah, the question. No, no, no one one we're on track. No, it's just that it's way. Fine. This way. And they're like, all right. So, and then we would land in Utea, and uh, I would spend years just running around fighting monsters and 
taming wild beasts and we would make this awesome fortress where we would all get stronger because we're all fighting things like this all the time. <laughs> right. And in like a year, when uh, Phryne's just been sitting on a throne doing basically bossing people around, we show up in our knee, super style, so, and we just muscle her out. So basically, you want the podcast to turn into Dragon Ball Z, where the first 23 episodes are you guys somewhere training, and then episodes 24, 25, and 26 are the final, are the final battle, Sorry. which consists of about eight seconds of battle drawn out <laughs> over you know, 48 minutes, right? Torvik really doesn't have any push for anywhere that he wants to go. He just wants to go. He doesn't like being in one spot for too long. He likes to explore because he's lived in a, you know, he's lived in his own town for his entire life, and that, that that's it. He hasn't seen anything else. So everything's new and everything's wonderful, and he's meeting tons of people, and he just wants to keep moving and keep doing new things. Well. Things have not gone exactly to plan for Zion no. from the very beginning. <laughs> no. He was going to, you know, try to step into his brother's footsteps and become a good, um, solid, lawful, good acolyte, you know. And then, of course, my life went upside down, and so I had hoped to end up in Tails Bay. But I, yeah, I never did get to Tails Bay. Never got Bay. to Tails Bay. I wrote a lot about Tails Bay. How could we have ever even gotten there, though? It could have. It could have happened. Things I don't changed. See how. But I wrote six um, pages. All right, well, we didn't end up there. No. Um, Zion's a little bit upset that he never got to see River Run. It sounded like a pretty cool place. Right, wrote six pages about that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I intend to go back one day. As far as what Zion, like, Zion believes that we are doing exactly the thing we need to be doing right now, which is strange because he had been trained all of his life to hate and despise the God King and hope that this very thing would happen. Right. Uh, but now... Here you are on a rescue mission. But now I'm on a rescue mission for him. But it's mostly because Zion doesn't like the idea of a world war. You know, right. um, which which upsets him. And you're pretty sure that Phryne would lead towards that? No, I'm not. Uh, Zion isn't. Because he thinks that she might well, as she gains in power, um, find a way to, to thwart the Kadarians, even now, and might bring some level of peace to Ani. I, this is why Zion doesn't feel too bad that they didn't just manacle her and uh, leave the city in a power vacuum. Because she can at least hold it down you know, and maybe save more people than if, like, there was just a power vacuum and the Kadarians swar swarmed in and killed everybody. So how does Zion feel about Phryne right now? Conflicted. Um, because she, he had thought of her as a friend, but as they get further and further away from Ani, he feels all of those uh, mental effects that were placed on him, you yep. know, decreasing. Yep. So he realizes, okay, well, she's put the whammy on me a few times. She was obviously using me this whole time. Made you run from your friends while right, they were in right. danger. All sorts of things. And made me do, uh, and I did things to impress her that I feel bad about, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, she made me a, a worse person, yeah. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. So, like, I feel better about being uh, away from her. But as far as what Zion thinks is like the, the major problem that faces them is something that we're nowhere near right now, but right. he really believes that uh, Galhadir is the true threat at the end of the day. Right, and um, having an effective God King would probably be a good thing to have against that. Right. Yeah. Last question. There's nothing weird about kidnapping orphans. <laughs> no, nothing weird at all. Last question. And this is going to go to everyone because it's not that complicated. Would you guys, would you all, ever consider doing a God's Fall cast panel at a Comic-Con or a 
Gen Con or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Be, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Well, we can guarantee Awesome Con next year. I don't see why we couldn't do Baltimore Comic Con, because that's just a train ride up north. I'd like to do Gen Con, but that's going to require, you know, everyone taking off time and travel and things like that. What I can say is that the kit that we have now is portable as hell. I can set this up in a hotel room. I can set this up in a game room, a floor, and because we're all laved, we're going to be fine. So we can record anywhere. In fact, one of the things I was thinking about after the season two break is to uh, do a Kickstarter to allow me to go to a couple different podcasts we like to travel to them, set up my recording booth, record their podcast, and then guest edit for that episode. So that would be our contribution towards someone else's show and kind of tie us in with them. Looking back, what was your favorite moment for the past season? And what was something that happened that you didn't plan on happening, but the players came up with on their own? Well, that's an easy answer because they are both the same one. Turtle Fest. I'm headed to Turtle Fest. I'm going to enter Oliver in the best turtle contest, and he's going to win so I can buy medicine so my father feels better. What well, kind of turtles are there? What kind of soup is there? They have they 17 kind of kinds of turtles. Do, do they have tickets? So what kind of animals are there? Do you get to ride them? Do you get to pet them? There's ponies dressed as turtles, and you get to pet them, and you get to ride them, and there's three times of turtle soup, and it's the best kind of turtle soup. Which kind of turtle, turtle soup, soup is the best, though? I All the kinds of turtle soup are the best. Turtle Fest happened because I named a town Turtle Bay. When I had the idea of the world storm, I tried to take into account the effects of living in the eye of a magically reinforced permanent world-spanning hurricane. One of the ideas I had is that it would have drastically altered the physical landscape while forcing surviving wildlife to adapt. Hence the invasion of desperate pregnant sea turtles and the beginning of a yearly festival of life and hope. One of the biggest challenges of DMing, especially if you're trying to tell a long arc story, is the balance of how much of that story is written and how much is generated on the spot. If you write too much, too rigidly, you run the risk of railroading your characters and making the story seem inauthentic. If you write too little, too loosely, you leave your characters without a sense of urgency to accomplish anything. So while I had a rough idea of what Turtle Bay was, and that they had a yearly turtle fest, I never planned on the players spending two full game sessions there celebrating it. And that wraps up season one of God's Fall. Thank you all very much for supporting us and listening to us, sharing us on Twitter and Facebook, giving us iTunes reviews, checking out the website at godsfall.com, and supporting us through Patreon or by picking up one of our official God's Fall t-shirts. When I first started God's Fall, I did it for two reasons. One, because I wanted to prove that editing makes a difference. My goal has been to make God's Fall the best-sounding, best-produced, best-edited D&D podcast available, but not just to limit it to that. I want it to sound like a story podcast. I want this to sound like a radio drama. I don't think we're quite there yet, but with each episode, we get closer, and season two is sounding so good that I feel it's starting to get within our grasp. The other reason I did God's Falls was I wanted to tell a long arc story. We have been called the serious D&D podcast more than once, and I kind of see where people are coming from. Our world has a logical consistency that 
there's not a lot of goofiness to our world, you know, beyond mini sentient pigs and shit like that. So there's some, but you know, all in all, it is a realistic quote unquote D&D world. And I feel that's really important because if you don't have that level of realism, if the world doesn't make some sort of sense, then you can't expect your players to treat it that way. So I spent months and months writing this game to get it to the point where I feel it can carry a story for four, five, maybe even six seasons. If you want to support us getting to that goal, go to the website, check out Patreon, support us any way you can. We would truly, truly appreciate it. So that's all for season one, and we will see you November 1st for season two, episode one of God's Fall.